This podcast is sponsored by Proudmouth, the Influence Accelerators. We help you spend less time selling and more time advising by turning you into a trusted subject matter authority with a growing audience of adoring followers who do the advertising for you. Visit ProudMouth.com to learn more. Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here is your host, Barron's Hall of Fame advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Welcome to another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. I just got the opportunity to spend a little time with our guest today and get to know him a little bit what I called a legend, I'm gonna call him a living legend, someone that I remember when I started in the business back in 1994, that was helping advisors even way back then, Mr. Bill Good. Bill, thank you so much. I followed your career. Congratulations on all your success and thank you for all the advisors that you've been able to help throughout the industry. And I'm really excited to have you here today and share some of your nuggets of wisdom with our listeners. Bill, if you wouldn't mind, maybe you could say a quick hello and maybe tell the audience a little bit about your career and how you got where you are today. I was a writer. I, I was writing at the time for Barron's Business and Financial Weekly. I was the editor of a little entertainment magazine in Los Angeles. It went broke. It went broke on a Friday. I quit on Thursday. And I needed a job on Monday. I didn't have the luxury of a long, leisurely job search. I had a wife and a daughter, and we had food. And when you are a writer, you your checks can come sporadically, let's say. And so my wife and I had one of these conversations. Well, what are you going to do? Well, I can write. I can speak. I bet you I can sell. Okay, so what can I sell? Well, this happened to be in the middle of one of the Arab oil boycotts. This is how far go, this goes back. I said, I better, I better have a job in telephone sales, which I did. And I had one on Monday. My first training program was, hi, my name is so-and-so. Here's the official company script. Here's the price list. I sit down here. If you have any questions, come see me. About Three months later, I talked my way into a sales manager's job, and I built a team of cold callers of about 83 people. I was personally managing 83 people. Don't apply for that job, okay? It's not fun. And then my, my, the guy that owned the company came to me with a new pay plan. The pay plan was actually an income reduction plan which I've learned is highly unpopular. It was unpopular with me. And yes, <laughs> that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> no, not. So I've, I decided then I know enough to, to form my own company. And I decided then I would focus on telephone prospecting. And so I quit. I retired. My wife and I took a retirement trip of two days. And then I, I hit the ground running. And in the course of the first few months, I made contact with a, an advisor at EF Hutton. And I found out who buys stuff for them. And I got to see him. I convinced him to attend one of my seminars. And then he called me and he said, we want you to train the, our rookies when they come back from New York. 
And E.F. Hutton led to Dean Witter, which led to a contract for doing over 700 seminars. And this was when the baby boomers were pouring into financial services and they needed something to do. Well, I taught them how to cold call. And I, we, I and a team of five seminar presenters trained maybe 40,000 rookies. And I suppose, Sean, if anybody's responsible for the do not call laws, it's me. <laughs> well, thank you for that, because I enjoy not being cold, cold at home these days. So thank there you, you go. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I was able to help. That led to a question because I could see that dying. That was going to go. And I came up with an idea that people really needed a system. So we created, we in this case, meaning me and a programmer and a couple of other people created what I now call the Bill Good Marketing System. And we have been delivering that system since 1986. And we have survived the ups and downs, the sideways, the gyrations, the October 19th, the, the, all, all of that stuff. And here we are. And some of the biggest producers in the industry, and I'm talking about people at teams that do 15 million a year, grew up doing what we did. So we do a system and part of that system is to identify problems that advisors have and come up with solutions. And I think we're going to talk about one of those today. So there's your Cliff Notes, Cliff Notes version. Yeah. So well, well said, Bill. So you, you really haven't been doing this for very long, huh? You're kind of, no. kind of a rookie at this point. Is that what yeah, you're telling we're, me? We, we're just, we're just getting our feet wet. Just getting started. So amazing history. And I'm sure you've seen a, a ton. So it's a, a privilege to, to chat with you today. And Bill, I was, you know, on your website preparing for, you know, what to chat about. And then of course you and I had a, had a bit of a chat. And what I really loved about your website is your orientation towards growth, right? And as you know, the name of this podcast is Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. So I think you and I are, are really aligned, right? It's really about how do you build, retain, assets and kind of build that machine. And I think that's really, you know, what you've been known for. So there are probably a dozen or more areas that we could kind of dive into today. But I think you and I decided on a, on a really good spot, right? So you've got this kind of theme and I know you help support advisors and coach advisors on how to capture the next generation and prevent, which I think is a really clever way of putting it, what you call air leak, not A-I-R, but air, meaning the heirs of your clients and family. So maybe you can talk a little bit about why you think that's an area that advisors need some help and how you go about helping advisors with that particular initiative. 2014, John, I was sitting in the office of the CEO of one of the major firms, one of the big firms. And he told me that their research led them to believe that their biggest problem was going to be loss of assets when the last primary client died. I got it from on top. I, this was not a bit of research that I did. He was kind enough to tell me this is the problem. And so I thought I better have a solution for this. So I started doing some research. And at the time, 
I could only find one bit of public research on the subject. And it was an article in Investment News. It's still in Investment News that said 80, when the, when the primary, last primary client dies, 85% of the assets leave the firm. Wow, 85%. 85%. So I thought, well, suppose they're wrong. Suppose it's 60%. We still have a problem, don't we? Suppose it's 50%, still a problem. So I started researching how can we overcome that problem? And that's, I, I came up with a solution then. And we actually have a, I think it's still on our website somewhere. We, we have a, a recording, a webinar that I did called When Clients Die, Assets Fly. That's I like a, things that rhyme. Sometimes. That's a catchy name. Yes. Yeah, when, what, is, what was it again? When clients die, assets, assets fly. fly. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's now, uh, here. Here's what happens today. The problem is worse and it's worse because the, 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 the people that came into the industry, say 1994 and earlier built big books. They have 300, 400, 700, 600 clients. And they brought many of those on as post as newly minted retirees. They're ages 62, 3, 4, and they are now 75, 80, 85. And it's not uncommon. And one of the questions when we're when we're talking to a prospective client is what percentage of your clients are over the age of 75? And if somebody says 50%, 40%, they stand to lose half of their assets in the next 10 years because the demographics are, if you, and I'm, I'm going to do this on a, on a fictitious book that we built because nobody had, had, the, had the, the life expectancy of people of that group. So I built a book of 100 clients, and 10 of them were 75, 10 were 76, 77, and I populated it equally with men and women. Now, if you have that book, in 10 years, your 100 clients is 30. Yeah. And these clients over the age of 75, for the most part, have your biggest book. Why? Because the magic of compounding has been working longer. So what's the problem? Well, the problem is the advisors don't make enough money dealing with the heirs to spend much time at it. And so they don't have a relationship. Now, now, what happens is, let's say we've got Bob and Liz. They're your clients. He's 85. She's 82. Statistically, he's out of there first. Yep. If you don't have a relationship with Liz, she's going to take the money and put it wherever her kids tell her to put it. And some of it gets lost when the first client dies. But now let's assume that you have a good relationship with Liz. You make sure she's included in all of the meetings. You do everything possible to keep the relationship with her. I'm going to tell you an interesting story about that in just a minute. When Liz dies, 
if you don't have a relationship, and not just a relationship, but accounts open with the beneficiaries, that's where you, you get whacked big time. And the statistics are, and I, I've got them on a website. I, I did a lot of research on this just recently. The asset loss is anywhere from 66% to 98%. Those were the, the, and a lot of different estimates. And it doesn't matter if one or more of them is wrong. They're all right in that you're going to lose a whole bunch of money when Liz dies, unless you have a relationship with the beneficiaries. Yeah, Bill, uh, super well said, completely concur. And I say this with, uh, I guess, a lot of humility. Barron's Hall of Fame advisor started in 1994, like you said, you know, thousands and thousands of clients at this point. And our single biggest issue, we've got a marketing machine. We bring in a lot of new money from new clients, but our single biggest issue is what you just described. You know, we call it leakage as well. And, and it really is a problem. And when you break it down the way you just did, it makes a lot of sense. I'd further say, you know, as you were talking, we've, we've been lucky enough to become the successor for a lot of advisors businesses where we acquire their business when that advisor looks to retire. And I can tell you when we do our due diligence and the valuation of businesses, you know, two of the metrics that we really look at are one average age of a client and right. two, the number of children that are connected to the practice, meaning how many of those clients actually have this multi-generational planning right within the book of business to protect the assets because the value of that book of business, the average age of a client is you know 76 years old. To your point, if you're paying a, a, a hefty price tag for that book of business and don't have that relationship with the next generation, you're overpaying and it, it hurts the value of advisors book of business as well. Completely aligned with everything that you were sharing. And I've witnessed Bob and Liz in my practice and other practices completely relate. And by the way, to the listeners, at the end of the show, Bill mentioned a website that has that statistics. We'll make sure we capture that and put that in our show notes, et cetera. We've identified the problem, Bill, right? Some of our past listeners know we've had Ray Kelly on, our leadership coach, and he talks about the five levels of leadership. And a level two leader is, is able to identify a problem. A level three leader is able to actually find a solution. My guess is, Bill, you've got a pretty good solution that you've come up with. So maybe you can move, shift gears a little bit and talk about if I'm that advisor listening in, my clientele is aging, what do I do? How does your firm actually help stop that leakage from occurring? In designing a marketing program, John, no matter what it is, we always start at the same jumping off point. And that jumping off point is a list. If I can't get a list of people that need my product or service, I can talk about marketing all day long, but I just it's just so much eyewash. So the list in this case is the beneficiaries. Most advisors have them. They're buried in retirement plan beneficiary statements. They're buried in 
various other places, but they are not dug out and put into the CRM. A major project, if you want to save your assets, is you start and put in the, 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 the names of the beneficiaries of as many clients as you can. And sometimes even, I mean, it, it, it's easy to ignore a client, let's say, maybe the client's got $400,000, no big deal. They've got three kids. What's likely to happen, one, kid number one is going to buy a boat. Kid number two is going to pay off a mortgage. And kid number three may pay off student loans. And then it's gone. A lot of those 400000s add up to a lot of money. I believe it is the responsibility of the advisor to manage the client's assets and the family's assets. Now, we really have two objectives to solve the problem. One of them is specifically a branding problem, a, a branding situation. Let's talk about Bob and Liz for a minute. When Bob and Liz have Susan as their advisor, she is branded as Bob and Liz's financial advisor. Okay, so Bob dies. Now she's branded as Liz's financial advisor. Now, Liz has other advisors. Liz has an accountant. She may have an attorney. She has a doctor, a dentist. She has this list of people. And she has a financial advisor. When she dies, her kids are no more going to use her financial advisor than her dentist. They're just, it's just a name. They don't know. So they're going to take the money to their advisors. And that money, that's, what, that's when you hear this giant sucking sound. And you, you turn on the computer and it makes that sound and you know you just lost another one. I wish it would make that sound, by the way. Is that sound? Whoosh. That's that right. <laughs> sucking sound, a giant sucking sound. Okay. Yeah. You have a question. Yeah, Bill. I just, just uh, sorry to interrupt every minute, but yeah, just, just to interject, I'm really enjoying our interview. You, you're making it sound so simple because it is really simple, except most advisors never thought about it that way. Again, guilty as charge. Yes, we have every client's beneficiary designation. We do a great job of that. I can tell you none of those beneficiary designations, you know, those, those clients beneficiaries live inside of our CRM. And that is a really, really simple, easy thing to do that I'm ashamed that I never thought of by myself. And then secondly, I love what you talk about really subtly, the difference between being Bob and Liz's financial advisor and the family advisor to Bob and Liz Smith's family, right? The family advisor to the Smith family is a subtle difference in how you approach things with your clients and really, really wise and smart. So I didn't have a question there, Bill, but I just wanted to take those two little tidbits because as simple as they are, anyone listening to this podcast already got enough value in the first 15 minutes here or so. So we can just call it a day then. No way, man. We're going to keep going. This is going to be a a marathon. I'm enjoying ourselves. All right. All right. (laughs) 
what one has to do to build you, the new brand is not Bob and Liz's financial advisor. The brand you have to build is the Smith family advisor. And it, that brand has to be built one client at a time. Although there are some things one can do with some a bit of mass marketing. But the Smith family advisor has two kids. And Liz and Bob both have siblings. Liz's parents could or mother could still be alive. And what we want to begin doing is marketing to the family group so that we become the family financial advisor. Now, we have created, John, a lot of content to help do that. For instance, when, when Bob and Liz have a grandkid, we have a letter congratulating them on their, on their grandkid and giving them an estimate of what it's going to cost their daughter to raise that child to age 18. It's an amazing amount of money. Then when that grandchild is 18 years old and has a, and gets his first job, we have a congratulations letter that goes to the grandson. Now, who reads the letter? The parents, the grandparents. And then we're going to suggest to Bob and Liz that they just open a Roth IRA for the grandson. So he, he made, you know, $1,200 his first summer. Or whatever it was, and he he's entitled to a hundred dollars, whatever. Open the account, pay the money, and get the account open. In the course of doing this, you can have a strategy, certainly with some clients, to get them to start gifting while they're still alive. Well, who who becomes the ally of the kids? The advisor, yeah. Yeah, of course. You have to meet the kids. So how do we do that? Well, we have certain events that we recommend. A, a really good event is a birthday lunch. And some people say, well, you know, my, my client's kids, I'm here in New York and, and they're in Texas. Well, do they ever visit? Yeah, they come every Christmas. Great. Let's celebrate your birthday at Christmas time and or whenever they come. And nobody says we have to celebrate it in July. That's no law of that. So we're going to have a birthday lunch. How about we do it on December 22nd? So you meet the kids. Now you're in a position to begin to communicate to the kids. This is a long-term thing. This thing doesn't happen overnight, John. But here's, here's the thing. As you communicate to the kids, what you have to do, you have to get them to opt in to receiving the communications you send to their parents. Well, in order for that to work, you've got to be sending something to the parents. Part of what we do is produce the content that kids and parents like to read. And we actually have a letter to send to the kid telling them we spoke to your parents and they get, they've given us permission to contact you and ask you if you would like to receive the same material we send your parents. The, the you get nearly 100% response to that. Now you add the kids into your monthly trip. We have other letters now that we're, that we're bringing on stream specifically for the kid. When 
Bob and Liz's daughter has her first baby. We have a letter for that. And we, we're going to talk about it's time to take a look at your will and so on and so forth. We'd be happy to help you. So we're offering services now that aren't going to pay anything to speak of, except you don't have to go out and replace that $5 million with eight or seven or six or five new accounts. You keep it. On a big practice, we actually recommend that there be a junior advisor. And this is a great place, by the way, for advisors to bring in their kids because the kids need to be reaching out, not just handling existing customers. That's nearly the kiss of death in terms of uh, an advisor who wants to leave a practice to his kids. If the advisor can reach out, hey, that's good. Can the kid do it? In many cases, no. Totally agree. I've got, Bill, four boys that are coming into the business eventually. Two are in college now. First thing I taught them to do was cold call. There you go. Literally. I mean, for me, it was cold calling CPAs, not clients. Thanks to you, we can't do that anymore. But we can still cold call CPA firms. They've got to, like we did, building the business, kind of scrape their knees a little bit and get some rejection and and learn the art of persuasion a little bit for sure. And you can't do it if you're talking to five or six people a week. You can cold call businesses. They don't fall under the do not call laws. This podcast is sponsored by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. Proudmouth. Tired of chasing potential clients? We help you spend less time selling and more time advising by amplifying your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans who will chase you down instead. Visit Proudmouth.com to learn more. Be your own loud. Simple information that you're making really, really easy that as you look at it as an advisor, just to give my own perspective on it, I think all advisors are guilty of looking for the hardest way to grow their business, whether it be, which is something we do, whether it be prospecting and build centers of influence with accountants and attorneys, whether which is something I coach advisors to do, whether it be seminars and referral events and things along those lines, digital marketing and all that stuff works. And advisors should probably do a bunch of that as well. But probably the most often overlooked mechanism is to actually play defense, play good defense, right? And to ultimately build relationships with the whole family, which not only plays good defense, but I have to assume leads to, as you were saying, new clientele of which some of these children are also successful even before they inherit money and start to build a younger client base in their 30s and 40s and 50s uh, so that you don't have the same problem. And I love the way you tie it in with helping that next gen advisor that you bring in, whether it be your son or your daughter or a junior advisor that you you know hired as an intern and are developing internally. So I think that's amazing. The strategy is twofold. Number one, become family financial advisor. And that means opening accounts, not just with the kids, 
but finding out about the family. I'll give you a, a magic question that, that your listeners can write down and use. And it, it's, it's part, John, of what we call the low IQ solution. And you, you, you alluded to, it, we got to make it simple. Well, we got to make it low IQ. All advisors have IIQs. They make things more complicated. And one of the benefits of working with us is we will reduce their IQ. That's good to know because we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take it. We'll take yes, it down. Yes, I don't know if I would be a candidate because if it goes much lower, Bill, I I don't know if I'll be able to get home today. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so the question is, tell me about your family. Now, how hard is that? I I could do that. Yes. I I should we role play it? Sure. So John, tell me about your family. Now let me do it back to you. Right. Okay. So hey, Bill, tell me about your family. All right. Well, I'm married, as you know. I have three kids, seven grandchildren, a dog. Both my parents have, have passed on. No other real close family members, but that, that's, that's our clan is my wife and I, three kids, seven grandkids, and a dog. Amazing, Bill. Love to learn a little bit about your family. I would bet the next piece is I'd love to be able to meet them and make sure that we can help them get educated as it relates to the financial circumstances in, in their life or be able to send them some information that might be helpful. Is that something that you'd be open to? Sure. That's how hard it is, John. Did I pass? <laughs> well, we got to practice it a few more times. You're, you're, you're right there at the bottom. Yes. I told you low, low IQ. I told That's you. That's right. That's right. Uh, That's right. Fantastic. Love it. And, and Bill, talk a little bit. I know that you have built a CRM system, right? Really, that, that's how I know you from back in the day. And when I think of you, I think of the old school. It was Bill Good Guerrilla Marketing back in the day. Tell us a little bit about what you've built. And I think this low IQ concept here, as you call it, is simply eloquent. It's easy to understand. It's something that I bet 99% of advisors don't have a system and process in place to do. And the reason they don't do it is because they don't want to deal with creating all these letters and et cetera. And I just, just the little things you said were like, hey, we do think about things like sending a happy anniversary card or a happy birthday card or congratulations on the college or high school graduation card or your first job. But we probably forget to tie in that there's a little financial opportunity there that maybe you should be doing for your grandchild or for your son or daughter or whatever it may be. And obviously, you've put a lot of thought and done a lot of research and testing on this. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about the CRM and what's kind of involved in that and kind of like what you get. Let's go back to the definition of, our, of what we have. We have a CRM-based system. Now, we produce one, but we also support others. All right. We didn't used to support others because it, you can even do a mail merge on some of them. Now, we do something old fashioned, John, that is kind of off the mainstream. Everybody wants to sit at their desk and have a, some, a little sound go ding when somebody finds them in social media or registers on their website. That's what they live for. It just doesn't happen very often. True. We send physical letters with stamps on them, personalized. All right. 
Now, I want to give you an example of something. I have a client who inherited, he's one of the big firms, he inherited a $5 million account when the advisor left the firm. He contacted him and they said, no, you know, we've been with Bob for 15 years, blah, blah, blah. And so I, I told him, when you, when you write to him, when you put him on your trip list, make sure you add the spouse to the, to the, to the address. And one of our rules in setting up data, client data, is where a spouse exists, the spouse has to be in the address of the letter, and we have to have a separate email address for the spouse, so the spouse gets the same electronic communications the client gets. Well, he did that. Now, one of the things that we happen to have mastered, and I, I have to tell you, nobody else in the industry does this. We have mastered a topic called readability. And is, that like, is, that, is that like drinkability? It's it's sort of like that. If if it's drinkable, you'll drink it. If it's readable, you yes. can read it. I believe right. Budweiser is part of their uh, their slogan is drinkability. So sorry. All right, Couldn't we'll, resist. We'll go with readability. Okay. Because what what we've learned, if you even if you have a well read piece with one sentence in it, which is very hard to read. Someone will come to that sentence, they'll say, what the heck is he talking about? And then they, they're gone. So we have a set of standards that build good marketing for our content. And it's a set of statistics that are generated by a little utility in Microsoft Word called readability statistics. And the statistics have to be in that zone. And they, if they are, it's easy to read. So this client of mine starts sending these letters, which we wrote to this $5 million client. And about a year later, the guy calls him, calls, calls my client. And he said, Hey, my, my wife just came in here and she said, you know, I, I, I can understand these guys. I don't understand this other guy. Why aren't we talking to him? Well, that $5 million account moved back. Mm, wow. And it was because the spouse was addressed in the, on the envelope. She then started opening the envelope. It was addressed to her. She could read it. She understood it. $5 million. So get it can completely get it and in, in my practice we do a, a pretty good job of just handwritten notes not letters like you're right, recommending right. and i could tell you we we probably making up a statistic but i'd say 40 to 50 percent of the handwritten cards that we send are acknowledged with a thank you note back with a thank you call with an email and i would say i bet you five percent of the emails that we send are acknowledged with the same level of thank you so i i do get the differentiation there for sure so bill let me ask this one of the things that's kind of popping into my mind so maybe our listeners it sounds like there's two options right to really kind of engage you you've got a CRM that I can subscribe to and use the CRM system that you've created. Right. It sounds like I can also 
utilize kind of your system and the copy that you've created for emails and letters and such on maybe my own CRM system or through my own RIA or broker dealer or wire regional. Are you able to, are are all advisors in the industry, are you working with financial advisors at most of the big firms or primarily only Indies or RIAs, or is it really kind of like a a mixed uh, mixed group here? We we work with all of the big firms, but one initials ML. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We work with from LPL on down on the independent side, and we work with RIAs. We like them all. I don't. I don't. I don't believe that everyone who works for a warehouse should go independent. There's parts of the business they don't want to do. Okay, fine. They, there's a place for them. Sure. Just like there's a place for people that want to take on the challenges of having their own business. Completely agree. I had one more question for sure. you, and then I'm going to ask, give you the opportunity to share anything else that you'd like, and then we'll kind of tell our, our uh, listeners here how they can find you. And by the way, I'd like to find you off the record and think about how, how you might be able to help my team with, with our marketing as well as we were talking about today. I just want to also be clear. It sounds like your system or your recommended approach is a combination of you know, I'll call it email or digital marketing, as well as kind of old school snail mail, which you just described. Is that accurate? Is there anything that you recommend from a social media perspective as well? LinkedIn and, you know, Facebook and things along those lines, or is it primarily for this particular subject matter, at least emails, drip marketing, and kind of snail mail letters? Well, we, we also have a, a, produce content for social media. Okay, great. All right. And what we don't do is today the market went up 300 points, went down 300. We don't do that. All right. That's just not what we do. We focus more on the relationship. We tell a lot of stories. We tell them things that they wouldn't otherwise be able to get and it's all done so they can read it that's a vital part of what we do is produce readable copy now there's a formula for this all right part of the formula one of the formulas is we call it the client relationship retention formula and in in the research we did this goes back maybe to the time of noah's flood that, that I figured this out. <laughs> you know, why do people lose clients? Well, they get bad investment advice. That's one reason. The second reason is I don't ever hear from my advisor. Okay. So part of our client relationship retention formulas is send every client a letter every month about something the client is likely to be interested in. It's not the same letter to everybody. This gets into target marketing. Sure. All right. Love it. Yeah. Super well said. And but you can't only do it with content there. You have to have a a scheduled contact program. And, and we we built it. We build it around what we call the 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 no contact interval. 
So for Bob and Liz, their no contact interval might be 90 days. For Fred Monkeyfish, he travels all over the place and he doesn't want to talk to his advisor that often. He might be on 180 days. And we manage all that through the CRM. So people receive the contact that they want. And we don't do it according to service level. Every one of my platinum clients, I'm going to call them every month. Well, maybe they don't want to talk to you every month. Very true. All right. Yeah. But I want my doctor to call me every month. No, once a year is fine. Thank you very much. More than enough. (laughs) More than enough. Right. (laughs) So what we try to use with do with our content is to squeeze out the competitors. We want to occupy the mental space that people have for their finances. And it's not an unlimited amount. They've got other things that they're thinking about and worrying about and concerned about. We just want all of their space that they're thinking about finances. And that's letters, it's emails, it's social media, it's branding in the office. It can be brochures, it can be presentations, it can be slideshows, all kinds of things. We want to consume the available space. And that's, yeah. that's our content strategy. Kick out the other guys. We don't want we don't want them because if they're not thinking about us, they're thinking about someone else. They're going to be talking to that person after a while. Yep. Well, well said. I've heard it, you know, over and over and completely agree. It's it's about giving the right level of contact for what your your clients want. And for for the most part, in many cases, the more connectivity, the better. And to your point, not everybody wants it. Not everybody wants to meet with you once a month or hear from you once a month, but they certainly don't want to hear from you less than they want to. You've got to make make meaningful promises and keep them to your clients for sure. So, Bill, as we wrap up here, anything that I didn't ask you other than where to find you that you would like to share with the group or do we, we cover most everything? Well, let me let me just throw out something that should make people feel a lot better. We don't think you should ask for referrals. Why not? Because it doesn't work. It, you ask, if, if I say to you, John, who in Ameriprise should I call? You could say, well, you could call this person, this person, and that person. I call him and I say, John told me to get in touch with you. Th- thought we should have a conversation. He did. Right. Sure. All right. So referrals should not be solicited. They should be promoted. And over a period of time, by following some of our steps, you can build in your clients what we call a referral consciousness. Now, what is a referral consciousness? We define it as a state of mind such that when a client encounters a referral opportunity for the advisor, he will A, recognize it, B, make the referral, and C, provide you with the name. We're, we're ultimately, we want to stamp out these, well, I referred you to a new guy in Rotary today. Oh, yeah? But they don't mention the name, and it's awkward to say, well, who? Sure. 
We want, I referred to a, a guy in Rotary today. Here, I've got his phone number and his email address for you. He, he's expecting your call. That's what we want. And that involves educating clients that you value and accept their referrals. And they get it after a while. Yeah, completely agree. And thank you for sharing that. And maybe you'll be kind enough to come back again and we could talk a little bit about client referrals because I think that's a, a great subject. i more than well. happy to do that, John. All right. Well, we're going to remember that and we will have you back on. To wrap things up here, fantastic information. I loved the simplicity. Thank you for talking to my IQ level. It was really helpful as well. And and truly, thanks for all you've done for our industry. I, I, you know, I wasn't joking when I said that. I've known your name for a long time. You've been a, a big help to many, many, many advisors in the industry and therefore their clients as well, because we can't well, help you. people if we don't get to meet people. So thanks for all the work that you've done. Where do we find you? I know you mentioned a website that had some statistics about this leakage right. concept and how would someone get in touch with you if, they, right. if they choose? Our, to? our website is billgoodmarketing.com, just like it sounds, B-I-L-L-G-O-O-D-M-A-R-K-E-T-I-N-G. Put a slash mark after that and put an air, H-E-I-R, hyphen leak. And you'll find all the statistics there. You'll find a recorded webinar that I did on the subject. And you'll find some other information about this that will enable you to assess, A, do you have a problem? B, how big is it? And C, what can be done about it? So I guess that makes me a level three. Or it am does. I a four? Yeah, you might be a four or a five, my friend. A four influence people around a common goal and a five develops more level four and five leaders and ties everything back to the vision, mission and values of an organization. And you, my friend, I believe have been doing that for a long time. With that being said, Bill, we will, uh, and to the audience, in our show notes, we'll have a link to the websites that Bill mentioned and every way to get in touch with him as well. So Bill, again, a sincere thank you for joining us today. And we look forward to having you come back again soon. Thank you for inviting me. It's, it's been a pleasure to meet you and I look forward to another engagement. Looking forward to it as well. With that being said, everyone, thanks for listening to another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. And if you yourself or anyone you know could be a good, interesting guest for our show, please reach out via email or through our website. And I hope everybody has a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttonconsultinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you next week. 